Revelation 1, 1 to 8. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as Susan said, uh, today uh, not only is a great Sunday to be in church, but it's also kicking off a new series. We're looking at the last book in the Bible, uh, the book of Revelation. And uh, these kind of Sundays remind me of back in the day when I used to be an English high school teacher, uh, where I would introduce a new book to the class. You know, it's Killer Mockingbird, Lord of the Flies, that kind of thing. And, I, and I'd present the book to the class, particularly the bottom classes, and I would have to spend the first hour or so, the first couple of lessons, trying to convince them or myself to them why they should spend the time reading the book. And I kind of feel the same when it comes to the book of Revelation, Right? Because in all my years of being Christian, I've not met too many Christians who say, you know what my favourite book in the Bible is? Revelation, right? People love Gospels, the Psalms, but generally not so much Revelation. And I think it's a couple of reasons. One is because it's a bit, well, you don't get it. It's a riddle wrapped up in a mystery, wrapped up in an enigma. And it's kind of apocalyptic genre, which we're not familiar with. There's lots of you know, symbols and imagery and animals that aren't too familiar but I think the main reason is because we don't want to be that Christian. You know that Christian that loves Revelation? You know that Christian who's obsessed with trying to work out the code and it's worked out that the beast is either, you know, the president, Oprah, or their mother-in-law? Yeah. <laughs> that kind of Christian that you don't want to be. So you kind of resent. So that all being said, even though it may be one of the least popular books amongst Christians, it is the only book in the Bible that has a guaranteed blessing for when you read it. You catch that? Verse 3. Blessed, what does it say? Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, because the time is near. So Emma and all the other Bible readers who read us are blessed when they read it. You who are here, who are listening to the Revelation, and not only listen but accept it and take it to heart, you are blessed. See, if you want to be hashtag blessed, it involves more than a coffee and being at a beach, right? It involves you reading this book. So I want to give you 
three reasons why the book of Revelation is life-changing, is life-reorientating, that you will live a blessed life because of this book. The first reason is this. It tells you the future. You know that why it's called the book of Revelation is because it's the first word in the Greek of the book, Revelation. And the word Revelation means to uncover something that's hidden, something that you did not know before. This is a basic definition. I want you to guess what's in my pocket. And if you hear, and you heard the sermon this morning, you can't guess, right? Have a guess what's in my pocket. A couple of guesses. What, what do you think's in my pocket? Keys. That's a good guess. It's not keys. Money is not money. It's not a communion cup either. That's a good one. Not a handkerchief. Not a Paw Patrol figurine. That's good. That's getting clever. This is what it is. A microscope for an ant farm of my daughter's. Now, I presume that's not what you're thinking was in my pocket, right? I presume you'd be here a long time trying to guess what was in my pocket. I had to reveal to you, to tell you what was in my pocket. Otherwise, it would be hidden. But to be honest, what's in my pocket or not doesn't really affect your life all that much. But the future does. What's going to happen to you, to this world, has a profound impact in your life. But that is off limits. That is hidden from us. But the book of Revelation reveals what's going to happen. That's the first verse. What does it say? The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. See, the future is off limits. I mean, we would love to know how long COVID's going to last? Is there war going to break out? Will Sydney house prices continue to go up, up, up? Right? We would love to know the future, but we have no idea. God has to reveal what's going to happen and tell you why he and he alone can do it. Because verse 8, what does it say? I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The Alpha and the Omega, the Greek alphabet, he's the A to Z. That, in other words, there was no before God and there will be no after God. God did not begin. He always existed. He's the God of the past, the present, and the future. He created time, so he's above time, so he knows what will happen. He knows how the story will end. It does not surprise him like it surprises you or I. So he and he alone can reveal what's coming, because he knows. Now, some of you may be thinking, yeah, but this kind of belief, this kind of faith, you know, what's coming, the heaven, hell, the Jesus, all that kind of stuff. I used to believe that when I was young, but now I've grown up. And so what I think is going to come when you die is just nothing. Is that you? If you think that nothing is coming, can I just subtly ask this question, how do you know that? How do you know that when you die, there's nothing? How can your prediction of the future be certain? There's a poet, Steve Turner, who wrote a poem called The Creed, engaging in, it's a bit of a parody, really. And he says this, We believe, the secular person, we believe that after death comes nothing, because when you ask the dead what happens, they say nothing. And I know it's a bit tongue-in-cheek, but it's making a point. 
Even if you believe that when you die, there's nothing, that still takes faith to believe it. The Christian is not alone in having faith. The secular person also has faith in believing that nothing is coming. But the question is, how do you know that? How do you know that when you die, there is nothing? The reason the Christian knows that there is something and not nothing is because of verse 5. Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the rulers of the king of the earth. What that's saying is, as Christians, we have a faith. We, we trust that God knows the future and tells the future and reveals the future, not because it's a gut or a hunch, but because of the evidence of Jesus Christ, who is what? The firstborn from the dead. He's the only one who died, who went to the other side and came back and said, there's not nothing, there's something and there's someone. But notice he's the firstborn of the dead. So he's speaking to you about your death. Because the firstborn presumes what? There's more to follow. If you trust in him when you die, that's not the end, but it's the beginning. His story is your story. That you can know the future of what happens when you cark it. And that there is life on the other side. But more than that, I love the last bit of that, the ruler of the kings of the earth, that Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Because I presume all of us in this room are worried about the way things are going. Different ways we are worried about, but we're all worried about the way things are going. Some of us are worried about, uh, are scared of uh, sort of leftist, feminist, progressive ideologies. Some of us are scared of right-wing, conservative, chauvinistic ideologies. Some of us are scared of environmental concerns. Some of us are scared of technological advances. For me, I'm petrified about how long the Western world has got left in it. Right? That's the thing that I worry about. All of us are worried in different ways about the future, the way things are going. There was a missionary who was talking to a Christian who was an underground Christian in a persecuted totalitarian state. And he asked this Christian, what's your favourite book in the Bible? And she said, quicker than flash, Revelation. He said, Why? She said this, because it teaches me that in the end, our God wins. That revelation needs to have a big spoiler alert over it, right? Because it ruins the ending. It ruins the ending intentionally to give you comfort and peace that in the end, God wins. That we are worried about the way things are going, but the way things will end up is that God wins. And he wants you to know that. He wants to spoil the ending to give you comfort and peace. Now, this future in which Revelation gives us is not as specific as we'd like. Some of us would like it to reveal, would we get married? What kind of job we'd have in the future? How long will I live? It's not going to reveal you that, but God has revealed to you enough. And why does a problem when Christians engage in palm readings or tarot cards is not just because it's entering into the demonic, right? But the problem is deep down, it's a doubt of God that he hasn't revealed enough to me, that I want more details, I want more specifics. But God has revealed to you what you need to know to get through this life. He's revealed to you the end so you can live each day in light of it. That in the end, whether it's death you fear, whether it's political instability, ideologies, that in the end, God wins. 
So that's the first thing. The second thing why you need revelation is it gives you a reality check of the local church. Personally, my experience, I don't know about yours, my experience of Christianity, of church, of other Christians is kind of like a roller coaster. It goes up and down, up and down, depending what I hear, what I experience. So sometimes it goes really low when I hear, you know, Christians behaving badly and pastors being immoral and I get depressed, right? But then I hear of examples of Christians being radically generous and servant-hearted and doing amazing, and it goes up. And then I hear about churches being in decline and, and that, that friend who was a Christian leaving the faith. And then I hear, and it goes down, and then I hear about another, someone who became a Christian and church is growing. And so it goes up and down, up and down. I wonder if this is your experience. The book of Revelation is a reality check of church, and it reminds us that though we will go up and down, the temptation is for us is to go with one or two tendencies. Some of us just stay down. And we complain about the church and we treat it like a piñata and whack, whack, whack. Some of us like to stay up and like to defend the church and kind of neglect its problems and issues and kind of overprotect it. There's two tendencies that can happen. I wonder if you're one of them. But the revelation, what Jesus does, is he does neither. The first couple of chapters, the first vision really, is a letter from Jesus through John to the seven churches. Have a look at verse 4. It says, John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. And each week we're going to look at, look at each one of these churches, right, and explore them. But it's seven, because they were real churches, but it's more than that. Because the book of the number of seven in Revelation means something. It's more than just a number. You know what it means? Perfect. The number seven in the book of Revelation means perfection. So in other words, John is saying, John, to the perfect churches in the province of Asia. Now, perfect church. I mean, who wouldn't want to join that, right? I mean, imagine filling out the feedback form of visiting that church. How was it? Well, it was perfect, right? Everything was perfect. But you read on and you kind of find that these churches aren't perfect, right? They have issues they need to work on. So how can they call them seven churches in Revelation? Perfect churches. Verse, what is it? Five is the answer. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Perfect means you've done nothing wrong. But you and I know we have. But that's why those words, the small little word, has. He has freed us from our sins by his blood. Not trying to, not attempted, but failed, but has. That when every Christian has done wrong, and we have done wrong, Jesus takes that wrong onto himself and pins it to him. And he takes it. So that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, he sees the Lord Jesus. Perfection. As another verse says, Jesus, though he knew no sin, became sin so that you would become the righteousness of God. You know, I was dropping off my daughter last year at school and I heard another parent say to their kid, Johnny, remember, be outstanding. And I thought, oh my goodness, that poor kid, right? Be outstanding. That kid's going to fail, right? They can't be outstanding. And left to ourselves, we cannot be perfect, right? Who are we kidding? 
But left in Jesus' hands, he makes us perfect because he takes every sin, sin we have done onto himself, leaving us as if we have not sinned. Do you believe, verse 5, that he loves you, that he has freed you from your sin, that when God the Father looks at you, he doesn't see the sin, the disappointment, the, the regret that you have done. He sees stunning righteousness because of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he sees his church, he sees washed, clean, perfect. That God did not get to 2022 secular Sydney and think, you know what, I'm done with the church, bad idea. No, no, no. He gave his life for her. But you and I know, right, our experience of ourselves, the experience of other Christians, it's not a perfect place, right? You've been here for more than three minutes, you know it's the case, right? And this is the balance of balancing our identity and reality, right? Because one day our reality will catch up with identity in heaven. You know, our behaviour will match who we are, we'll be perfect. But it's this tension we're in, right? We are holy, but we're works in progress. We are perfect, but we are sinners, right? And so the danger for some Christians, right, is to overlook the faults of the church, of other Christians, right, and to overprotect it. But we mustn't do that because Jesus doesn't do it. He gives a revelation to each of the churches, a word of encouragement that some of them are lukewarm. They can't stay like that. Some of them love biblical truth but don't love people. Some love people but don't love biblical truth, right? He's giving them a word to change that the church, our church, 17 years today, right, is a work in progress, and it will always be, because you and I are a work in progress. The Revela book of Revelation gives us a reality church of the local church. It doesn't want us to be optimistic or pessimistic. It doesn't want us to be naive, but it doesn't want us to be despairing. And for some of you, you need to hear this. You need to lower your expectations of the local church. Expect others in this room, in your church, to let you down. I will let you down. We will let each other down. Because we have not arrived at heaven yet, don't place a perfectionism on other people's behavior that you would not place upon your own, right? Lower your expectations. But some of you need to raise your expectations that Jesus loves his church, that it is the most precious thing to him, that you cannot love him without loving his church. A couple of weeks ago, we were at Luna Park, right? And it was, it was full of all sorts of people, crowds. But I had eyes connected with one person. I was focused on one person, my wife in the crowd. She stood out amongst everyone else. And you know, when God, when Jesus looks down at this earth at all the different things that are happening, all the amazing endeavors, all the different initiatives, that his eyes are fixed on one thing. His bride, us, the local church. His eyes are drawn to us because we are the most precious thing to him. Third and final reason why you need revelation is because it gives you perspective. You know, there's one word that comes up again and again in this book. You know what it is? The word Look, or traditionally, behold. It comes about 25 times, right? It means to be alert, to be aware. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was on holidays, and we were up uh, on the beach, staying 
quite next to it. And in the middle of the night, I get a text from my mum. Eh, she's a bit of an exaggerator, right? But she gets this message, right, saying, there's a tsunami coming. Are you okay? Right? I didn't sleep well that night. But the next couple of days, right, with this potential tsunami coming from Tonga, I am very much alert, right? I am looking, I am beholding like there's no tomorrow, right? Because I'm thinking like those seagulls flying inland, are they flying away? From, that, that the tide's going out a bit. Is that because of the tsunami? You know, I am alert the whole time, right? But I don't know whether a tsunami's coming or not. But verse 7 says, look, he, Jesus, is coming. Not maybe, maybe, not 50-50, not, oh, it's been a while. No, no, no. He is coming. You want to get that text message that the person you respect is coming to your home? What do you do? You clean that bathroom. You put away those dirty plates, right? You get ready. Jesus is coming. Are you getting ready? He is coming. And I think the problem for most of us Christians who live in Sydney is we're very good at looking back, looking back at the cross, looking back at the resurrection. We're good at looking at the present, right? What does it mean to be a Christian now? We're not very good at looking at the future, what's to come. And case in point is how often do we say, come Lord Jesus, come. Deep down we often say, you know what, maybe just delay, Lord Jesus, delay. Not yet, not yet. Maybe when I'm 80. We're too comfortable but worse, I think we think this is the Shangri-La and what's coming is a cheap motel. It is the exact opposite, friends. Blessed are you who hear Revelation, who start looking forward to what's coming because Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? It says, look, he is coming, verse 7, with the clouds and everyone will see him. Even those who pierced him, all the peoples on the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. You know, when Jesus comes back, it is going to be very different to the first time he came to this earth. The first time, no one noticed, except Mary and Joe and a couple of shepherds. But this time, everyone will see him. The first time he arrived in a mother's womb, the quietness there. But when he comes back, he will come in the clouds and everyone will see. And what that verse is telling you is one very important truth. Everyone you know, including yourself, has an appointment with Jesus. You may meet no one famous in your life, but guaranteed you will meet the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. That is coming. And there will be two types of appointments. Two types of encounters with Jesus. Some, there will be a profoundly sad, mournful day. And others, it will be a day of celebration. And depending on and what determines, what encounter you have, experience you have, is not based on have you been a good or a bad person. It is not based at all on does your good things outweigh your bad things. No, no, no. What type of appointment you have with Jesus all depends on how you responded to Jesus before you meet him. Let me say that again. The way in which your appointment goes is all based on the fact on how you responded to Jesus before you met him. That do you believe him now? Have you asked him for forgiveness? Have you put your trust in him? Because if you're thinking, oh, look, I don't know if it's true or not, but to be honest, when I get there, I'll just, I'll just talk, I'll just share a bit with Jesus, and he'll be fine. He'll let me in, right? No. 
you know, when I was young, uh, I was thinking through about what I wanted to be when I grew up as a job. And I had this moment, right, when I was thinking, you know what, even if I lose my job, even if I don't find a job, you know what I'll do? I'll become a professional tennis player. The Australian Open must be on, and I was looking at those tennis players and thinking, that's not too hard. You know, they run, run, run. And that's what I'll do. Dead set. That's what I thought I'd do, right, as a backup option, play the Australian Open. Then I picked up a tennis racket and started to play a game. And I realized I had no idea what I was talking about. And friends, if you think you can rock up to Jesus and think, oh, I'll just talk to him. I'll sweeten the deal. I'll give him peace of my mind and it'll be fine. You have no idea what you're talking about. You need to ask for forgiveness now. You need to trust in him now. Because if you do, that appointment will be the highlight of your life. It will be a moment of celebration. You know, I've seen a number of times video footage on Facebook, Instagram, on the, on the news of beautiful moments of reunions because borders have been closed, countries have been locked out, and families are getting together. And they're just the tears, the hugs, the joy. I love watching it. It's great. But you know what the key to all of them is? They know each other. They have a relationship. I mean, imagine if someone's at the airport going to be like, hey, it's so good to see you. Like, I don't know who you are. Oh, we, I know, I just want to give hugs, right? Like, it's a bit weird, right? People reunion, those hugs are there because they know each other. They had a pre-existing relationship. And that is what it will be like for when you meet Jesus Christ for those who follow him. I mean, I am not a hugger but I am looking forward to hugging Jesus in that moment. The one who washed you, knows everything you've done wrong and yet died for you, forgave you. That moment you will see him and it will be a glorious moment where you see the Lord Jesus face to face, the one you have followed, whether for only a day or for the whole of your life. That is coming, friends. That moment is guaranteed. It is, as, as I said, that is going to be the highlight of your life and the beginning of your eternal life. And you need to live your life in light of that moment because that is guaranteed to come. And we live every day in light of it. You know, the book of Revelation, it may be one of the least popular books, but it is the book we all need right now. We need to be reminded that though we do not know what is coming, we do know one very important thing. God wins. That when we look around at the local church, we do not despair but have hope. And it changes our perspective on life that we look forward to what is coming. Let me pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for the book of Revelation. And at times it will not be easy, it will be foreign, Lord, but we are comforted by the fact that your Holy Spirit is with us, who not only inspired these words, but is with us, inspiring us to receive them, to understand them, and take them to heart. We ask, Lord, whether it's by ourselves reading the Word, whether it's in connect groups, whether it's on a Sunday, Lord, that we would listen to you, what you have revealed to us, 
and that we would know and feel that we indeed are blessed because of it. Amen.